Forge family, our last time together in the letter to the Ephesians was focused on the Gentiles who were treated by the Jews as if they were only worthy of death. The Gentiles were far off from the promises that were from God to the Jews. It was through the power of the blood of Christ to make a way where there seemed to be no way. As the, gen as the Gentile populations came to Christ, they fulfilled the promise that the kingdom of God would be a redeemed mixture of Jew and Gentile. God had redeemed and reconciled both races, making for himself one new man, a new third race. The wall of hatred, of separation, was done away with. And the Lord took every new convert of Gentile or Jewish roots and made of them living stones constructed on the cornerstone, Christ himself, adding them to the temple of God being built by Holy Spirit as the body of Christ, wherein the very presence of God longs to dwell. <clears throat> All right, let's pray. Father God, we of Forge Church are of mixed heritage, both Jew and Gentile, making up the third race of mankind as believers in Christ. How we bless your name as you have transformed us into living stones, part of the body of Christ. We would be ready for divine appointments with those who are lost, but being drawn by Holy Spirit to encounter your mercy and grace. Put your words in our mouth and your love in our hearts for those coming to Christ by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, we begin chapter 3 of Ephesians today, and Paul begins by starting to pray for the Gentiles who have responded to the good news of the risen Christ. He begins with, quote, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, Paul is looking back at the astonishing transformation of Gentiles to become believers in Christ Jesus that he laid out in chapter 2. And here, rather than continue his prayer for them, he begins a 12-verse parenthesis, a sidetrack, regarding his stewardship as the apostle called to reach the Gentiles. Here, he describes himself as the prisoner of the Christ Jesus. There's a definitive article there in the text. Okay, it's the Christ Jesus, the Messiah named Jesus, the anointed one named Jesus, even as he is under house arrest by Caesar's orders. Paul makes sure that the Gentiles know that his imprisonment is on their behalf and that it is the risen Messiah, Christ Jesus, that holds him under house arrest in Rome. As he was preached, the risen Messiah the Jews had surged in their hatred of him and his message to the Gentiles. He elaborates on his call in verses 2 to 3. If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. That is an interesting translation of stewardship. There are two Greek words that make up the translation, the law of the house, being oikos, meaning a house, and nomios, meaning law. Paul was given authority to set up the house law, the oversight, the management, the stewardship over the grace of God 
as he administered that grace to the Gentiles. He had been given by revelation a mystery to unravel from the Lord God, held by God, but released to Paul to understand by the Spirit. God planned the church before he made the heavens and the earth. It was to be through reconciliation of Jew and Gentile by faith, not Jews on one side and Gentiles on the other. Paul continues with a fuller explanation of that mystery in verses 4 to 7. Quote, and by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it is now. It has been revealed through to the holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. This parenthesis in the epistle was to clarify the mystery to the Gentiles and to the church, even as the Spirit had done to open the eyes and hearts of the apostles and prophets when Paul reported back to the Jerusalem church regarding the Gentiles flooding to the message of the risen Christ. The anointed of God, who became the Savior at the cross, was for both Jew and Gentile. The mystery hid in God was the divine purpose to make the Jew and Gentile a completely, a wholly new thing. The church, which is Christ's body, formed by the baptism with the Holy Spirit and in which the earthly distinction of Jew and Gentile disappears. Paul had been made an apostle to the Gentiles and to the church by the working of the power of God to manifest this mystery. No Jew or Gentile had ever conceived of such a partnership in the church body. For Paul remained a lasting resource of joy and awe. Later, Paul would deliver Gentile offerings from Macedonian believers to the impoverished Jewish believers in Jerusalem. That offering speaks of the working reality of the mystery. It was miraculous that the Gentiles made offerings and as equally miraculous that the Jews received them with gladness, grace, and humility. Kent Hughes speaks to an opposite problem. In view of this miraculous togetherness, there is no room at all in the church for Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no room at all in the church of Jesus Christ for separation. There's no room for people who say they believe that Paul says about what he says about the mystery, but do not practice it or who rationalize that this mystic togetherness is future and is not to be applied today. Now, some people see no problem in keeping their church free from people who are different from them because they believe social differences will only be overcome in the eternal state. Stuart Briscoe, great Bible teacher, writes of missionary experiences among so-called, quote, believers, unquote, in South America who had no interest whatsoever in reaching primitive Indians. These, quote, Christians, unquote, went even so far as to say they doubted 
if the Indians have had souls. And if they did, the missionaries could do the work. Those two examples fall so far short of God's design and desire that those who hold to such beliefs should get a good look at themselves to see where they are in regard to God themselves. Verses 8 to 10 say, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery that which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, in order that the manifold witness, manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now Paul identifies himself as least, and maybe playing off his Latin name, Paulus, which means little or small. So John Stott takes up this presentation and says, uh, as if Paul is speaking, he says, I'm, I am little by name, little in stature, and morally and spiritually littler than the least of all Christians. I am small Paul. Now recall, he had been a violent aggressor against the members of the church, the first Christians in the Jerusalem gatherings. To the Corinthians, he said, I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. The responsibility of preaching that Christ is all and in all to the Gentiles drew upon the untrackable riches of Christ. Translators have used words like inexplorable, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, incalculable, and infinite. These are saving riches, relational riches, practical riches, eternal riches. Someone who shouts back at you, don't preach Christ to me. I have enough problems already. They don't understand that Christ always enriches life. And we have the joy and responsibility to share those riches with others. Now, Paul turns from his message to the Gentiles to make the church known to all, to switch on the light, as it were, so that everyone might see God's plan. Lastly, in verse 10, Paul sets out to make known to the principalities and powers of heaven. They're the angels. And he, may, he wants to make known to the angels through the church how God has displayed his manifold, his variegated, his many colored wisdom. Paul uses the same word as do the translators of the Septuagint to describe the many colored coat of Joseph in Genesis 37. The next point out, the text is, the next, the next point in the text is <clears throat> that both 1 Peter and this text, and neither one reveal God, that God had made a complete um, plan for history and reconciliation of the universe and offered it to the angels. They didn't know. They get to observe and learn from the church and their gain an adequate and, and uh, a more complete understanding of the mystery of redemption. The church, a product of God's reconciling work, will be in fact an agent in the reconciliation of the cosmos. 
This mystery keeps the angels watching. John Stott states that the church is central in history. Our text keeps present the immense centrality of the church to the gospel. <clears throat> when it's preached uh, and, and uh, comes alive in the church, souls are drawn to Christ, the head of the body. Lastly, the church is central to Christian living. The church is not an option for believers, nor is the support of the church an option. Paul's gospel was of Christ and to the church. Paul concludes this parenthesis from verses 11 to 13. Quote, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to hold, not, excuse me, not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Our bold access into the presence of God is as sons and daughters to whom we are acceptable and we have his favor. Paul picks a middle voice, you grammarians out there. He picks a middle voice. It reflects back on himself. Okay, uh, here in the text, asking on his own behalf that the Gentile believers reading his letter do not fret, do not fear, do not faint regarding Paul's suffering in Rome. These tribulations of Paul are of such a nature as to be glory to the Gentile believers. All right, Forge family, Paul has gone the second mile, as it were, to illustrate the amazing mystery of bringing Gentiles and Jews together, reconciled in Christ as members of church. We have been called to reach out to those who are not like us, to embrace them with the mercy and the grace of God. We will get to display their reconciliation to God to the angels and see them added as living stones to the body of Christ, co-participants in the astounding riches of God. Let's pray. God of many colored wisdom, who loves us and displays us to the angels, who gives us access to your presence, Thank you for your great riches of grace that make our fellowship sweet and penetrating here at Forge Church. We are prepared to make welcome those who flow in, and we want you, Lord, made welcome here with our obedience and love for you and the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge family. See you soon. God bless you.